that person has a disease and it needs to be addressed, what if we caught it at home and we're mm -hmm. able to make some changes? You know, to me, mm -hmm. that's, that's true medicine. There's so many different ways to treat pain. Honestly, I feel like part of it, you, we think we have also all this technology, but in reality, it's not integrated the way it should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Am Christina the Archangelo. And with me today, I have a familiar face because I have had Dr. Harvey Castro on I Am Christina the Archangelo before. I believe it was last year because we're only into March, and this is the first time I'm seeing his face on my podcast <laughs> for this year. Welcome, Harvey. Thank you for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. I always feel like whenever we meet, uh, it's we got get a lot a lot of time because we both just want to keep talking about everything and anything. So it's fun. It's awesome because you know it's so nice to be connected to a physician like you that gets research, that gets the the head and heart concept of how to treat patients. Right? It's not about the dollar line for you. You know, you worry about patients before profits. So you know, my whole mantra is to always help patients. So I love knowing doctors like yourself, uh, Harvey, because you're what people need out there to help them feel better. And so I love to align with physicians like yourself, especially someone who has books, who has a business degree on top of it, not just being a doctor. So you understand holistically a lot more, in my opinion, than most doctors do. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I've been blessed. Uh, I've had a very, very uh, amazing career. Uh, and I got to go into it just a little. I, I come from a very humble beginning, uh, literally grew up with nothing in poverty in New York City. Uh, it was really, really tough. But you know what? I think in the end, it was probably the best thing that happened to me because it gave me this strong grit, this strong why, uh, and this just yearning to learn for more. But more importantly, it just gave me this passion for people and understanding having nothing and, and just growing up in that in those circles. I just wanted to make sure that I always grew up giving back to society, uh, that whatever gifts uh, I was able to obtain throughout life, that I was also giving them right back uh, to society. And I know that sounds a little cliche-ish and whatnot, but honestly, that's that's the goal. Um, I went back to school in the middle of uh, me having about 350 employees. I had started a company. At eight emergency rooms, and I was just passionate about. No, I need I need to know more on the business side, and then uh, I love talking to you because I all of this started for me in a health food store. Uh, I was the manager of a health food store back in the day uh, when I was about fifteen years old. I can't believe they even let me do that at that age. <laughs> Um, but it just gave me this passion for medicine and mm -hmm. understanding the holistic side of medicine. And, you know, my roots started in just alternative medicine. And so that pushed me to become a doctor because I wanted to know the science behind it. And so I felt like I was able to merge traditional medicine with alternative medicine. And so as we met and started talking about all the things you're doing, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I want. And so thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining me. And I love the fact that you are sharing your story with everybody, you know, here so that they understand that you worked very, very hard to get where you come from. You were raised by a single mom and you grew up impoverished and, you know, your mom worked. I remember, you know, you and I talking about how many hours she worked every day and how, you know, at one point as a little kid, you had to let yourself in from, you know, from school. And, you know, that's a lot for a little kid, but your mom, you know, was stuck because it's not like she had a whole gallop of people that could step in 
And she worked really hard to raise you into the incredible human you are today. And so I just, you know, I have a lot of respect for your mom. You know, not that I know her, but some of the things that you've shared with me, I've read your book, one of your books where you talk about your beginning of your life and, you know, the struggles you had to get where you are today, which is similar. You know, we're similar, but different. I'm not a doctor, but I grew up with humble beginnings, blue collar, similar to you. You know, I had both my parents, but, you know, my mom had mental health impairments, you know, and she had bipolar disease and some other things. So it was just really my dad that was raising me, but he worked all the time and her mom, I'd have to go to my grandma's house. So, you know, we work hard and we have that grit and it makes us different, I think, because we have a white collar job, but we have a blue collar heart. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that like that. I like the way you said that. It's true. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to like tie in the relevance of like we all came from from nothing and we've made something and it's not been easy along the way. You've had challenges in your career. I've had challenges in my career. And it's really important for us to show people that, you know, when you have those when you have the grit that we have and we can't be knocked down, even in desperate times. I mean, there's been some desperate times we've had. We still get up every day. We rise back up like the phoenix that we are every day because we have people to serve at the end of the day you know you you have patients that you serve and people and companies that you support as a strategic consultant and companies and similarly i don't i'm not a doctor but i have patients to serve through the nonprofit when they call me we just got a couple cases in recently and that's why like literally this week elder abuse again um which you know that rings true to my heart with some of the things that my mom went through last year. So that was one of the reasons why I invited you on today was because I want to kind of address some of the things that I've been seeing a lot lately. And it's been reported on the news. So I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm trying to join that bandwagon. But I want to talk about the opiate crisis that we are still in, which is kind of like, why are we still in this? When there's been how many lawsuits about this why are we still prescribing these these drugs to patients that are addictive that causes a whole plethora of problems for these patients you know um and that's what i wanted to talk to you about today i wanted you to have your er doc hat on because maybe you can help influence people in a positive in your space as a physician to physician a more positive way of helping treat these patients and what happens when these patients get on opiates? Like what have you gone through as an ER doc when you've seen people come into the ER and they're looking for opiates because they've already been on them? Yeah, see, this is a tough one. Um, I try my best always to give every single person the benefit of the doubt. I, I try my best never to be biased. Uh, never to look at someone and say, oh, they're just here uh, because they're, you know, they're trying to make some money off the insurance company or they're trying to play their disease or whatnot. I, I try my best to be so subjective, almost to the opposite side so that I, I don't ever uh, come across as a callous doctor or come across as not believing my patient. With that said, I've come to learn that patients have diseases and one of them is could be could be addicted to op opioids um, narcotics and so that's a really really tough one because on one side uh, that person has a disease and it needs to be addressed 
And then the solutions, um, sometimes the patients do not want those solutions. Uh, for example, obviously they come in asking for a narcotic and they may have a higher threshold and say you and I, um, I, I take like a baby Benadryl if I have some bad allergic reaction and I'm out for like a day. Uh, whereas if I give it to my kids, uh, one of them will just jump off the roof and she's just crazy going everywhere. And so um, just to kind of show you the spectrum. And so when it comes to patients, um, it's hard uh, on, on several fronts. Number one, uh, like I said, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I try to give them alternate medicines so that they're not taking narcotics. Uh, a lot of times they're not happy with me. Um, and then I try to meet them halfway. And what I mean by halfway is fine. I will give you the medicine you're asking, but let's do it the right way. Let's, let's do it with a pain management doctor. Let's have a support group. Let's do it with your family. Let's, let's bring others so that it's a, a collective decision that we're all together doing this. And so that we all know what the dose is and how much you're getting. So that way, fast forward a week later, you're not like, oh, I lost my medicine or I, uh, you know, something happened where in reality you took them all. And, and I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that those are some of the things that I see as an ER doctor. And so um, other things that I think is amazing is just uh, there's so many different um, ways to treat medicine. And that's why, I, I mean, a pain. And that's why I love having uh, pain management doctors, because obviously, you know, some of the simple ones, it's like biofeedback. And we now we got wearables and, and we're looking at alternative medicine. And, and then there's, you know, now obviously with the cannabis, there's, there's different uh, medical indications for those uh, different ways of treating. Um, the harder part for me is just seeing the, the devastation from narcotics. That's the part that I'm actually scarred. Um, let me give you a quick story. Um, I cannot get out of my head and I'm going to try not to get emotional, but I saw a, I took care of a 20 year old male that had overdosed and his father, uh, we finally found his father came into the ER and he came bursting in saying, where's my son? And it was just really tough to, to talk to him and tell him what had happened. He had overdosed and died. And it just, it, it got really sentimental and got really tough. And it's one, one of many cases that I can't get out of my head um, because I just feel for that father. Um, he, he was 20 years old, you know, you can tell he knew better, but, but in reality, he's just a kid. And to me, it just devastated me. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share that story just because it, it hits us all mm -hmm. in different ways. Yeah. I mean, you and I have spoken about my brother you know, and the fact that he was bipolar. And I found out at the end of his life when he was dying from COVID, that he was schizophrenic. I had no idea that I grew up with, uh, you know, a brother that I knew that he had mental health issues more, you know, I was a kid. So it, to me, it looked more like anxiety, you know, and uh, later on in life, you know, being in the clinical research space, when he would talk to me about things, sometimes when he talked to me about the voices that he heard, this may sound funny, you know, laughably funny, but it, it really isn't. I thought he was empathic, that he was intuitive, and that he could hear the other side talking to him, because people in our family can do that, they have that ability. Um, so I thought that's what it was. But um, it turns out now, you know, I found out at the end of his life that it was skits. And my brother started abusing Oxycontin when I was pregnant with Christian. So now Christian turned 10 years old this February, double digits. 
So this was, you know, 11 years ago, right, Harvey, that I figured Mm -hmm. this out. And my brother at that point was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Mm -hmm. So someone that's in their early 30s, you're a doctor, so you, and you're an ER doc. So for you, you'd automatically go, hmm, I need to look at that tox report immediately to try and figure out why this kid would be in congestive heart failure. And so my brother used opiates to help stabilize him, if you will, in his brain. And so, cause he was hiding, you know, from what was really hurting him from a mental health standpoint. And so what's upsetting about that is the fact that he kept going to the hospital with his congestion of heart failure. Mm-hmm. When he, when I got involved, which was January of 21, 22, I apologize. Sorry. My dates kind of go to back, but it was just last year. So January of 22, you know, I immediately asked the physician when they tapped me in, did you do a tax screen when he came in? Yes, of course they did. Did you see anything? Yes, you did. Okay. How many times was he in your hospital last year for treatments of CHF? She told me 11 times, Harvey, 11 times. And I said, in those times that every time he came in, I'm assuming you did a tox screen. And she said, yes. And I said, in those 11 times, did he always pop positive from some sort of drug that wasn't cannabis, right? Because to me, cannabis is not a drug. It's a medicinal um, product that can help people, you know, treat various things. And that's why we do research in this. So I'm not making claims that go out and go get your cannabis. I'm just saying that's one of the reasons why I study. And I came into the space seven years ago is to help footnote. Hey, yes, this does help for pain or this helps for whatever DN or whatever it is. So here is this kid who now he's an adult, right? He died at 43, turned 43 there in the hospital. It was the day after he walked in the hospital, he turned 43 and then died seven days later or six days later. But 11 times he came in with this in his system. So this is somebody that needs help. This is somebody that has a little boy that's four years old and he's the only caregiver for this child. And the hospital knew that, right? And then he has an older kid that's been in and out of prison, right? So there's some problems there. And I'm sure he's told, you know, he told them all this. So how does this happen? You know what I mean? How does he, how does he, how come there isn't more help? You know, like, I, I wonder how this happens. You know, why does this happen? Yeah, that's a tough one. I know as a, as a medical profession, uh, from when compared when I first started, uh, being a doctor till now, you know, back then we weren't really checking on patients to see if uh, they were abusing uh, narcotics. Now there's a database and then and see if a patient just got narcotics or not. Obviously there's always a way to game the system, but, but it's, it's gotten better and better to the point where it's, it's tougher for patients, which is good. I think, honestly, I feel like part of it, you would think we have also all this technology, but in reality, it's not integrated the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. So as an ER doctor, my job is to see patients come in and my job is to take care of them. Um, and then if they need to be admitted, then I basically hand it off to the admitting doctor because I have probably another 20, 30 patients that I need to see. And so it makes it tough. Um, I will follow up with the medical, uh, the doctor that's uh, seeing hospitalist, um, just because I'm curious, um, but obviously I can't do that. And then uh, it's just more, you know, superficial if I can, just because there's, they don't give me that much time either. And so the electronic medical record, you would think, you know, your brother came in 11 times, there should be some kind of alarm, something that says, 
Um, I know there's companies out there that are working on a risk management tool so that they can look at these things and put more of an alarm. But I just feel like the system, unfortunately, is still broken. Uh, and as much technology and AI and all the stuff that's out there, I just feel like it's it's not where it should be. And I think it just needs to be more of a cohesive group um, working together. The problem, again, I'm not trying to uh, say horrible things about our healthcare workers because they all work so hard. It's just that the volume of patients that are coming in, they don't have the time to keep looking at each one. And I know that sounds callous, but unfortunately, we need to do something. And I think um, the other part barrier, unfortunately, is uh, access to care with when it comes to insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain individuals, unfortunately, like me, don't didn't have insurance growing up, didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of things. So unfortunately, I was just pushed to the side uh, because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford uh, certain treatments or I just couldn't get it. Um, so, you know, that makes it another barrier. I know, um, you know, not to drop names, but I know Mark Cuban's pharmacy has come out and I'm really excited because he's really pushed uh, lowering the price of drugs. And Mm -hmm. and I I have noticed it's made a difference. Mm -hmm. I know uh, just this week, insulin. uh, Oh, yeah. Company uh, said that I think it was like 35 or 40 bucks a month. Uh, that that was going to be their cap. And I thought, oh my gosh, finally, now, now we're, 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 we're getting somewhere. Right. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, I, I I do remember seeing an article about certain uh, medicines like Narcan um, to help reverse uh, the narcotic effects uh, because some people obviously overdose and, and making it more susceptible, more easily available for people to have um, so that they can um, take care of a loved one instead of waiting to get to the hospital and they may have overdosed and died. They can do it sooner. So there's all these things coming, but unfortunately, it's not there. The last thing I want to say is back to the pain management doctor. You know, unfortunately, that's just one person, and and it takes an it takes a it takes a tribe. It takes all of us to work together. It takes the mm-hmm. ER doctor, the sister, the mother, mm-hmm. all of us as one. If you're seeing a loved one going through something, it's hard to call them out. But then don't be that enabler where you're allowing it to happen and look the other way. Um, I think our goal is just to start looking for those signs and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on. And now with the internet, you can find a lot of resources mm-hmm. out there that are from the CDC or from our government to kind of mm-hmm. help guide you to find those things. And if you do identify that, um, then I would think don't be the one that does it all, but find a team, find mm-hmm. a pain management doctor, find, you know, if you're a religious person, find someone at the priest, if you're a priest, you know, to help you with all this. Right. I think, guide I think you. It's different people. Um, I know that, uh, growing up, I'm, I was stubborn and probably my my mom was the only one that could talk to me, but, um, sometimes it takes that person and it may be your neighbor, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, the pharmacist that for some reason gets a hold of your loved one and they, they can get through to them. So those are the people that I would encourage you to reach out to get help. And if it's you yourself, um, that is having issues, then I highly encourage you to find help and then be consistent and know that it's a disease mm-hmm. and that it's like a stock market. You're going to have highs and lows, but mm-hmm. the goal is that you're trending towards better health. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that, um, that it's like the stock market because that makes it less painful, right? From a stigmatization standpoint, a lot of these patients are very much stigmatized. Yeah. I know like in my brother's case, when I had to get his personal belongings and they messed up and they had his phone in a different place and all this nonsense. Anyway, I called the hospital and said, Hey, I need to have, I need to pick up my brother's phone. I'm going to send another family member to pick it up because I was afraid to go to the hospital at the time because it was in the peak of COVID and I hadn't gotten COVID yet. And I was fearful. So I had a family member go, but 
while I was on the phone with the guy, he gave me a hard time. And this was security for the hospital. And he goes, well, what do you need the phone for? Are you another junkie? What? First oh, wow. off, excuse me. I am not a junkie. Okay. Um, and secondarily, I'm someone who just lost her brother and I'm the older sister, you know what I mean? So it's, it was a lot. So to say something like that, because my brother had an issue with uh, using drugs because he had mental health impairments that prompted him to do so. How, how is that a junkie? That's not a junkie. That's someone that needed help. Right. And he didn't get it. And I tried, you know, several times I didn't enable him, but you know, people just sometimes just don't listen. And, mm -hmm. you know, even talking with the doctors and trying to grapple be around them, you know, back when I was pregnant with Christian, I was tapped in pretty hard, you know, with, with his doctors. And we were all trying to work on this because we knew what had caused this issue. But even my parents didn't believe it. And, you know, when we were talking about technology advancements, when we started building out the telemonitoring arm for Spectral two years ago during COVID, it was so that there would be a higher visibility for patients and have that connection with the doctors, the pharmacy, the wearables, um, the EMRs, right? Because what happens to your point, you brought it up very eloquently, was that you are the ER doc, you're not the GP, right? So you don't know what happens to this patient. Once they leave, they've been discharged, right? You don't know what happens to them. You don't know that if they've left the ER and the next day they're back into another hospital for the same pain because they're now have become addicted, not because of you. They went to see you first. You may have been the third person they got to see, right? There's no tracking, right, mm -hmm. to this. And even the systems that have been put in place that are supposed to track this don't always catch it. There's no safety net. And so, when some of these things happened in my personal family life, um, it made me realize really the whole reason why we developed this was also to combat. I didn't even think when we were building this, that this could help with the opiate crisis because there's a full visibility. The ER doc is hooked in, your yeah. GP is hooked in, your you know cardiovascular specialist is hooked in. If you have one of them, everybody's hooked into you. And there's an ecosystem of care for you now. Yeah. So there's less likely for you to kind of go off track if everybody's monitoring you. Good point. Yeah. But that's the future, right? It is. It is. <laughs> I, I'm excited about AI. Obviously, I have two books behind me. Uh, I, I wrote these two books on ChatGPT and healthcare. Main goal, honestly, was to push doctors to understand that technology is there. A lot of doctors, you know, bless your heart, they're they're working, and I'm included. Where you're so busy and you're having to keep up with so much knowledge. I've I've read different literature between 34 and 72 days. The medical literature doubles, and so the amount of information that we're expected to know is it's it's a lot of information that we need to keep uh, reading journals and keeping up to date. And so my point is, having this technology, I think, helps educate us. And, and on the opposite side, patients, I feel like eventually this technology will get to the point where we can educate ourselves on different diseases and, and have better discharge instructions and better information. Mm -hmm. And uh, to your point, having more uh, bots that are out there that can help with all this. And, and mm -hmm. I'm excited because I've already seen certain companies out there 
uh, simple stuff. I call it simple. Uh, on theory, it sounds simple where your voice is tracking your disease and mm -hmm. where there, there's AI that's listening to her voice and would know, hey, a stroke's coming or hey, this person mm -hmm. has early Alzheimer's mm -hmm. uh, or hey, this person's becoming depressed mm -hmm. and, and this is how it's it's listening. And it sounds kind of freaky and scary, but at the end of the day, and to me, it's all about preventative medicine. And, mm -hmm. and the sooner we can catch this disease or diagnose disease or track it better, for example, your brother, then we're really able to say, hey, there was a change. And before it got so bad that he unfortunately had to go to the hospital, what if we caught it at home and we're mm -hmm. able to make some changes? You know, to me, mm -hmm. that's that's true medicine. It's huge, right? It's like, I love the fact that you said preventative, right? That's, that's what needs, we need help with that, right? Yeah. Because what we do now is we react, right? We're reactive because now all of a sudden something's wrong, you know, with you. And like, even myself, not to just like talk about opiates, like, you know, just opiates, but I know back in 18, when I got diagnosed with my autoimmune disorders, I knew something was wrong with me, RV in 2017, right? I knew I was symptomatic and I knew something was wrong and I was trying to figure out what, and I went to the doctors in February and it was my OB. So some of the things that I have, um, that I ha was having symptomatically could have been hormone related because I had had a child too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went to the OB with all these things that I had, that I was feeling. If I had been hooked up to spectral or something else, say, um, in 2017, when I had these problems, the sleep, the anxiety, the weight gain, I was like the stay puff marshmallow person. I kept gaining all this weight. I couldn't get rid of it. I was exercising. You could see that I was exercising, right? And it's still not coming off. What is happening? And I changed my diet. It was all the thyroid that was knocking me out in that case there. So it's true though, Harvey, if, if, if we can do a better job starting this, like now going forward, it also will keep the insurance costs down, right? Yeah. It's going to keep the medicine costs down because if we catch it faster, we can correct it. Maybe this person doesn't need something that they have to take out for the rest of their life. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Well, thank you um, for being on today because we're at the end of our time. You and I can always talk forever. <laughs> Yes, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Um, it, it's a true honor to be able to contribute some something small towards society and help. And so feel free to reach out to me. I'm on all the social media uh, under the, what is it? Harvey Castro MD is my handle on everything. So feel free yes. to reach out. And we will map you to this uh, to this uh, podcast shoot. Sorry, I was drawing a blank there. I'm a little tired. Um, when the new patient came in uh, two days ago and it was the elder abuse patient for APA, it was, you know, I've been working around the clock because it was serious. I had to call the authorities, you know, I'm a reporter just like you are. And so I haven't gotten a lot of breasts because you know how we are. We have to fight for our patients and make sure they're taken care of. So my brain is a little today. Um, but I wanted to thank you so much for being on today and we'll have your handle at the bottom of this podcast so anybody can connect you to you. And if anybody ever reached out to me and asked for you, I would pass them your way because I strongly suggest that if people have a need and they think there's something you can do to help them, they should reach out to you, Harvey. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And as we always say at, at the end of every podcast, remember, we are the same. I am Christina D'Arcangelo. Thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm.